0: This is behind the whistle. Let's get this bad boy started.
1: All right, Omri, take it away. Well, welcome to another episode of the Ancestor Architect podcast. We have a very special guest today, and I am so honored to speak with her, and I'm honored to allow for everyone else to listen to her story. Um, I met this woman, uh, not physically yet, but yeah. I feel like I know so much about her. Um, I met her a couple of weeks ago when we did our Think Outside the Box webinar series number two, and she spoke about life after volleyball, and her story is just so awesome. And we didn't we needed more time um, to tell her story, and we're gonna allow for Chiaka. Obagu to tell her story um about how she got to where she's at because she's doing some amazing things and you know she's still playing volleyball right now and and we want to we want to learn how we can watch her because she was amazing to watch when she was playing at texas so we welcome you chiaka to our podcast Ooh,
0: thank you thank you so much for having me today i'm excited to be here
1: yes so if you would just kind of tell us where where you started, where you started on your journey to where you're at right now, so that can be your professional journey, your educational, whatever it is, wherever you want to start.
0: Yeah, so I think it'd be necessary to start like where I basically grew up. I am from a Dallas suburb called Coppell, Texas. Um, I think the population is around like fifty thousand people um I grew up here basically my whole life I wasn't born here but I feel like I might as well have been um it's all I know and I started playing volleyball honestly against my will and I feel like each step along the way it was a lot of people telling me like you should be in this direction you should be doing this so which I'm very thankful for those people but I basically tried out because for my middle, co- middle school team, because one of my best friends was trying out and I wanted to just stuck with her. And she was like, please try out with me. I did not like volleyball at the time. I was a very big uh, basketball head. I loved basketball um, and I was tall. So I obviously naturally gravitated towards basketball, but tried out in middle school, made the seventh grade C team. To this day, those middle school coaches are apologizing to me for that. <laughs> like anytime I see them in passing or at any other volleyball tournaments, they're like, We are so sorry we put you on the C team in seventh grade. Please forgive us. I'm like, guys, I could barely walk and chew gum at the same time. Like, I'm honestly glad I even made the team, to be honest. Um, But they saw a lot in me, and they invested a lot in my potential. And they were actually the ones who, like I said, forced along the way, kind of forced me to try out for club volleyball, which I'm so glad that they did. Um, That really opened up the floodgates to, like, where I am now. I trained at TAV from my um, 14s year, and they used the age groups to define the club uh, teams, but my 14s year throughout high school, it um, awarded me the opportunity to get a scholarship for the University of Texas. As you mentioned, I played at the University of Texas for four years, um, competed with amazing people along the way, and that essentially awarded me the opportunity to play overseas and get noticed by um, USA Women's National Team coach Karch Karai which brought me to where I am today, competing on the USA Women's National Team.
1: That's that is so amazing. Um, I think if anyone's ever seen her play, seen Chiaka play, she's just absolutely dynamic. It's fun. She makes it look fun. Now. Chiaka, let, let me ask you, uh, this C-team notion in middle school, maybe people are unfamiliar with, you know, they know the A, the B, um, but I know in some schools, because I, you know, coached volleyball, and we we never had the C-team, so can you explain mm. a little bit about what that consists of? Yeah, so essentially
0: in my middle school, and I think surrounding middle schools, like every middle school team was broken up into Uh, different categories, and I think the A-team usually consisted with girls who had been playing volleyball for a while, were well immersed in the club volleyball scene, were very talented at the time, um, knew the basis of volleyball, and I think as you go underneath that, it's like a little less uh, skill and experience as you go further, so if you can imagine (laughs) me on the C-team, basically zero volleyball knowledge outside of like, I think I did a YMCA camp when I was like eight once, (laughs) just so my parents would get me out of the house. And um yeah, just for me alone, the lack of skill, lack of experience, but obviously I was tall and they saw athletic potential kind of granted me that spot there. So typically the C team is consists of girls with maybe not as much skill and experience, but still have like that athletic potential.
1: Yes. And I think that for people need to understand that when when you decided to, to play club the growth that happens within that club system is huge and you can always yeah. see that you know when when the little the little girls they decide okay let me let me learn more about volleyball and let me go to a club camp or a clinic and they start to to learn and they and they say oh my goodness we didn't do this in middle school the growth from year from that first year to that second year is huge huge um so what about in high school? Can you tell us about a little bit about where you played in high school and how your team, because I know that the DFW area is is the volleyball hotbed for the state of Texas. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, honestly, I was lucky enough to be in the position I was in. I went to a high school that had a lot of girls who were well experienced in clubs. So they kind of pushed me in the direction to try out for uh, Texas Advantage Volleyball, which is currently, I think, at least for the last, like, decade, voted the number one club in the state of Texas, and I think the last five years, number one club this, in the country, mm-hmm. um, but the whole um thing with Coppell is I obviously tried out my freshman year, and that was around the time I was introduced to club. I was introduced to club eighth grade, so entering my freshman year, I had a little bit more experience and a lot more skill <laughs> under my belt. Uh, I made the JV team then, but I went to a high school that didn't have a lot of like state success or even local success, but we had a lot of good players. Um, my sophomore year, we actually got a new coach, um, coach Julie Green, and she used to coach in Austin, actually at Lake Travis. And if you know anything about Lake Travis for a while, they were like sweeping the state, like yes. weren't dropping game type season. like fifty. They had a and 0 season, one state title. Like they were very talented. So we were lucky to have her. And I think that just kind of changed the game for me because she was the first person to really speak to me about having a career post uh post high school and post college she was like I really think you can make it far in this sport and I was like okay yeah I mean I guess but um yeah no I think being in a school like that who took that took volleyball seriously um put me on the map and obviously um, having success that we had in my junior and senior years winning state kind of introduced me to a different level of like competitiveness um, I think that's where I really tapped into wow this is something I enjoy not only enjoy but I'm realizing like what it takes to win and it's exciting and it's exhilarating and I want to tap more into that
1: awesome now did you continue playing any other sports while you were while you were in high school or did you just stick with volleyball
0: I tried track because I did track in middle school, but it conflicted with club season. I did running events in middle school, but high school, I was like, okay, let me just stick with high jump and see if this works. But yeah, those club seasons are not forgiving, So it ultimately didn't work out, which I'm not too upset about.
1: <laughs> yes. Now, moving on to the University of Texas. Um... Can you tell us about that story and how you made it to 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 UT, really? Yeah, so
0: I always laugh when people ask me, how was your recruiting experience? I'm like, it was a lot. (laughs) Um, It was very unconventional, and it's something that I tell people so I can basically say, please learn from what I did. Um, At the time, so like I said, I went to a very notable club in TAV, I was on my 16th year, so I think my sophomore year of high school, I was on like a dream team for the 16-year-olds, surrounded by a lot of talented girls, and we all ended up playing, all 12 of us ended up playing D1 for volleyball, so yeah, so at the time, that's when a lot of the girls who were presumed like the stars of that generation were committing. Um, I think I honestly felt the pressure of wanting to commit early too, because I think it also like set yourself apart from the rest of um, volleyball players. Like if you committed when you were 15, 16, people were like, Oh, she's really good. Like if colleges are interested in her, um, her freshman or sophomore year of high school. So going into that, I think I didn't take as much time as I now advise other girls to take when going through this process. I was definitely influenced by the fact that everyone around me was committing. I felt the pressure. I had visited the University of California, Berkeley with my parents. And also at the time I was like, I am leaving the state of Texas. I wanna be far away from Texas. Like I love California. I have family in California. I've always loved the vibe there. I wanna to go to school in California. And I was dead set on that. Again, mistake, cause I was 15 years old. I really didn't know what I wanted. <laughs> um, took a visit there. I went to their volleyball camp. I met the team. I met the staff, great staff, great program. At the time, they were gaining a lot of success. I think the year prior, they had uh, gone to the national NCAA finals. They had lost, but they had really like put their program on the map then. So they had a lot of exciting recruits coming in and other prospects. Um, So I visited there. Within a week, I committed. I remember feeling really good about it. It had a obviously very good combination of High academics and great athletic program, a lot of resources. I kind of let that settle for a little bit, and over the course of like, I think after five months, I really started to think about it, and I was like, "Do I really want to go to California? Do I really want to go to Cal Berkeley?" Berkeley, and these thoughts were terrifying because I had made this now verbal commitment, mm-hmm. and although it wasn't set in stone, I had made it publicized. Like everybody knew I was going to Cal. I bought all the gear. I was rocking the Cal sweatshirt at school. (laughs) Like everybody knew I was going there. So I was like, even if, at the time I was like, okay, even if I don't like it, I have to go because now everybody knows. Um, As more time went on, I think it, I was committed for like nine months before I was like, this is now starting to really like permeate my thoughts. Like I can't stop thinking about the fact that I think I want to look elsewhere. I had talked to my club coach at the time, um he had introduced me not introduced me but told me to talk to the owner of TAD at the time John Sample and he was like listen um he basically broke it down to me he was like what do you want in a school and I listed all these things and he was like yes by the looks of that I don't think you do want to go to Cal and I was like what do I do I don't know what to do and he was like you have to decommit and he asked me he was like all right if you could pick your dream school like don't think about anything else where would it be I said, obviously University of Texas, I've always wanted to go there, but during recruitment, they weren't uh, recruiting me as heavily as other colleges. So I kind of let that drink go. I was like, okay, maybe I'm not good enough to play at UT. And he was like, all right, well, before you can have these conversations, you have to be committed. That was nerve wracking for a 16 and a half year old to call a college coach and be like, just kidding. I don't actually wanna go to your school. I'm really sorry. And I mean, they were gracious. I think they understood, like I was young. And at the time I had explained like, it has nothing to do with the program and it's nothing to do with what he's trying to do with the program. I think just from the bottom of my heart, I did not feel like I really truly thought that that was the place I was meant to be. And for whatever reason, like I couldn't let that feeling go. And they understood. Mm-hmm. So after I got through that excruciating, <laughs> <laughs> scary, process I reached back out to my club coach and he was like all right um Jared Elliott at the time I now had decommitted so that he's interested in talking to you I talked on the phone with Jared and he was like we have a scholarship available for your class we have one more available we were thinking we didn't know if we wanted to go with the middle blocker or another position but we would love to have you if you want to be a part of this program and I like literally it felt like a Thousand pounds, like brick had been lifted off of my shoulders. I could breathe again. And I was like, this, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. For whatever reason, God has led me to this position. So, of course, I had committed in a heartbeat and I made that verbal. And I mean, the rest is history. I didn't look back and I don't regret that experience, although I wouldn't advise to go that route if you want to play at the
1: university and college level. That's awesome. Now, while you were at Texas, what did you study?
0: Health promotion with a like pre-physical therapy emphasis. Um, And I minored in human development family sciences at the time, which I'm still considering I wanted to um, be a physical therapist. I think I definitely want to stay in the sports realm and I naturally gravitated towards science because my dad is a doctor. Okay. Um, Yeah, so that's definitely the reason why I chose that major.
1: Awesome. Now, once you, once you made, uh, once you graduated from UT, what was that like making that transition to the professional level? Because there's at the time, obviously there was no pro league here in the United States. And I can only imagine how scary that is that making, making a decision like that to leave, you know, leave your family, leave your friends and to go to a different country. And, you know, some of the, some of the women that, that do go overseas, they're going to countries that are are not as safe or not as welcoming to women in general. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how you made, made that transition happen? Yeah,
0: so there's really... And I think this is something that I'm trying to help girls who are in college right now go through this process. There really isn't that much information out there because of what you said. There is no domestic league in America. You have to play overseas if you want to continue your career. There wasn't then. There is a domestic league coming now. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, during like my last few months at Texas, I understood that I couldn't speak to an agent, obviously until I finished my season. So I was like, well then where am I supposed to get information from? Uh, Jarrett had told me, well duh, you have people who have played in this program who are playing now professionally currently, like reach out to them. So Haley Ackerman is someone I reached out to and she's been amazing just with uh, counseling girls who were going through that process. I think she also, you met Kaz Brown, she was talking Mm -hmm. to her at that time too. Um, Hannah Allison is another person at Texas, Cat Bell. So I kind of started picking the brains uh, of their heads and other girls who I just had known and played against throughout college who were playing professionally at that time. Um, And they kind of directed me towards um, agents that I should make note of, but obviously I couldn't talk to. So once uh, we lost in the elite eight, I ended up going to the final four and if anyone knows, it's like this giant convention attached to it. I had no idea that it was like a, basically a party going on while we're trying to play in the Final Four. But experiencing that was cool. I was like, wait, this is what you guys are doing when we're over here practicing? Like <laughs> fighting for our national championship? Like this is not bad. But I went to that. I got to meet a lot of people who are connected in the professional volleyball world, which is awesome. I got to speak to a couple of agents. Um, my agent was also there at the time. So um, after that, I went home and I just went over my notes of what I took when I'm speaking to the agents. I picked an agent and it happens like that. If you're a December graduate, the season professionally is already going on. The season runs typically from around October till May. So when you're a December graduate, you're essentially looking for someone who, or for a team that has lost a player due to injury or has fired a player during that mid-season break. Wow. So I was kind of sitting there and he was like, it can happen at the drop of a dime when you kind of have to be ready to go within two weeks of when I tell you this team wants you. So exactly. So imagine that I'm, it's around Christmas time. I'm like, it's going to be now like, am I going to have to leave tomorrow? Like what's going on? Um, so I actually ended up taking a spot of a girl who also was American, who got injured at a team in Italy, in Florence, in Italy. And, um, yeah, my agent set me up with that. And that was probably the best experience I could have had as a first-time professional volleyball player overseas. So I always tell people, like, if it wasn't for that experience, I don't know if I
1: still would have been playing. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. And while you were playing over in Italy, how, did, how, does, how does this come about with the USA Volleyball? And how do, you, how do women get chosen to be on that team?
0: Yeah, so I think people think that there is like an official way to go to be chosen towards this team, which there's not. If you ask each girl on the team how they got to where they are, everyone has a different story. Um, for me, I had done the whole like USA Open tryout they do around March every year, and it's usually consists of collegiate athletes. And I think it's a way for the USA staff just to get a look at like the pipeline and who's coming up. Um... During that time, I was selected to the USA Collegiate National Team, which is just a group with Kaz Brown, actually, again, which is just a group of college players um, who get to travel overseas and play against other national teams and other professional um, club teams. So we got the opportunity to do that in Thailand. So that was kind of like my first experience of like what it would look like being a professional volleyball player. And that interests me a lot. I was like, oh, the travel part alone. That's really dope. I would love to do that um so yeah so once that uh happened I obviously kept in contact a little bit with Car. she was like all right like we'll let you know he didn't coach that team but he obviously watches and takes note of all the girls who are on that team and he's always like really good job we will let you know in the future like if we would like you to come out and train and I kind of left it at that I was like okay so while I was in Italy I got there in January and the season For us, ended in March. Uh, Early March, Karch reached out to me and said that he had been um, watching my professional league games and would like to invite me out to train with the national team this summer. And just noted that it's not necessarily—it doesn't necessarily mean I'm on the team. But during when while you're training with the national team, it's essentially a trial in itself. So if you survive the summer and if you're still there at the end of the summer, um, you're essentially on the national team. So. Obviously, I accepted that invitation and I joined them summer of 2018, and I've been with them ever since.
1: Now, what what is going to happen now? As you know, as you move to the Olympics in 2021, how does that affect you all? Because the majority of the you know the women you all aren't together training together all the time. You train together mm-hmm. just in the summers together. Or yes, that work.
0: Yeah, so we're gone, most of us, from around September till May, year after year. Um, We're usually training with the national team anywhere from May to, like I said, early September. So we're year-round kind of traveling, for me at least, and it's in Anaheim, California, which is not where I reside. So Mm -hmm. I'm basically away from home year-round, but yeah, next year, I think... They adjusted the club schedules a little bit to accommodate for the Olympics. This year, actually, um, the last national team tournament before the Olympics was supposed to end three weeks before we would have to leave for Tokyo. Wow. So that would essentially allow three weeks to train and pick a roster before you leave for Tokyo. And years prior, quads prior, I heard that, and this is like a known thing, that because of these schedules that always conflict with uh olympics um they're not conflict with they always like run very closely to the olympics there have been times where you would know maybe two weeks before you would have to leave if you're going to the olympics yeah which i don't know how i would be able to handle that but i think next year the fivb which is the national governing body for all the national teams is that into consideration i think we'll have at least like a month and a half of no tournaments full training for the olympics before that there will be like a six week long tournament where you can mix in girls in and out for these uh different competitions the competition doesn't really mean anything it's just a way to keep in shape uh for the olympics but i'm hoping we will all be together
1: training somewhere around mid-may of next year and what is that like? Because you all are coming from different different places and and you see each other for a short period of time and then you're out again. And how does that affect your team cohesion? Yeah. So
0: I think the cool thing is for a lot of us, we'll be able to see each other while we're playing overseas. Like I was in Italy this past season. I played with actually one of my USA teammates, Kim Hill. And um, while we were in Italy, I think there were Gosh, like 10 of the national team girls were all playing in Italy at the same time. Yeah. And on top of that, there's like at least 15 other Americans. I think Italy is like a hot spot for most Americans that want to play professionally. They always that's like the top. We always try to get to either Italy or Turkey in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, this next season I'm playing on a Turkish team with another one of my USA teammates. I know this is like a dream too. It's always really exciting to play with teammates professionally, but there will be I think about like six or seven of us on the national team in Turkey this year so I think while we're there we always try to connect and keep those relationships going it's hard obviously to do it with 25 girls who typically are training in the gym for 12 spots but while you're overseas it's an opportunity to like connect with these players so that when you do go back like at least you have some sort of a cohesion with like a group of people and then on top of that like technology i mean we have a long like girls group text that we're constantly texting in and sending stories in even when we're overseas like we're all we're, con- we're uh, constantly comparing our like crazy overseas stories that naturally come <laughs> with being an american in a foreign country so <laughs> things like that just keep it light and keep that cohesion going but once we're there honestly it's like nothing's skips to beat that's once awesome. we're all back together yeah
1: that is really really awesome now what about um, when when all of this is said and done when volleyball is over what what do you plan what do you plan on doing have you thought that far ahead or you know thought about you know, you know what what if I, an injury occurs and it it's taken away suddenly what what is chiaka going to do right i mean it's funny
0: you asked that because i feel like I had been putting that thought to the side, but COVID ultimately had me face that front on when basically everything stopped for me. And I'm like, if this were to be the case with an injury, what would I be doing? Because obviously COVID provided me the luxury of at least being at home Mm -hmm. and being with my family and taking up my time that way. But during this time, I've really started to think about what I would want my legacy to be and what I would want to leave here. And I think For me, representation is like a huge part of what I like to advocate for. I think it's honestly the reason why I'm in this position today. I don't think I would be training for the national team and being an Olympic hopeful if I didn't see girls who look like me doing it at this level. So that being said, I think I've taken this time um, in mentoring like other high school volleyball teams and eventually I would like to have a foundation that uh, specifically runs for like black and brown and people of color in the volleyball community to help foster like education, um, maybe scholarships along the way. But more than anything, I think I want to give back to the volleyball community, but really put an emphasis for um, inspiring girls that look like me. I haven't thought of like what that looks like in a career yet. But for the time being, I'm like, all right, this is for sure something I'm passionate about. And I'm now like just taking the steps to explore that.
1: Well, that, that's amazing that you say that because going back to your story in middle school, do you think if you had been exposed to volleyball earlier, like when you were younger, that you would have started playing earlier?
0: Ooh, definitely. I think that's part of it. I, I think also being a first generation American, we don't see a lot of like Nigerian girls or Nigerian American girls doing that as well. So I just growing up my influences as I was younger were like my older cousins and none of them really played volleyball so those were kind of like my idols and I'm like all right a lot of them played basketball so I played basketball um but for sure I think if I was exposed especially um to girls that look like me playing this sport at a younger age I would have been interested but it took just someone saying like you're kind of athletic you should play this sport and then seeing girls that look like me at the highest level and I was like okay then they can do it I for sure at least try to attempt to get to their level.
1: Yes and I think you know we've I've had this conversation with Haley a lot and I think we had some of that conversation in our webinar is the exposure just isn't there because it I mean it costs a lot of money to play club volleyball and playing for a club like TAV or being in this area um, where you play for Alamo or Austin Juniors or Houston Mm -hmm. Juniors it's not only the the amount that you're paying to the club, but it's your parents have to travel every weekend. Yeah, to the tournaments. Yes. They pay to get in time. Yes, but they're paying for all of the things: the hotels, the parking, mm-hmm. the convention center, the food, transportation. But, yes, everything. And then when you're, pl- mm-hmm. when you're on one of the national teams and you have to travel across the country, there's mm-hmm. only a certain group of people that can afford to do that. And, yes, and I think that's where. I've always struggled. I've always struggled with the club side of things because of that, because it does not allow for access to everyone. And throughout my career, I've worked at various title one schools, communities where we have such talented young women that had never seen or played volleyball or in middle school. They're still serving underhand. I mean, Mm. uh, you look at any middle school, any high school that's competitive, and then you go to their middle school. If they're jump serving, they're they're playing a a highly competitive game. Yes, and, at a young age. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Or even you go to you know some of these club tournaments, and the tens, elevens. It blows my mind.
0: I didn't even know that existed at ten or eleven. I see ten and eleven teams like jump serving. I'm like, yes. guys, I learned about this like four years ago. I'm just, I'm still working on my jump serve.
1: Okay. Like it's, it's incredible, but it's like, Oh wow. This whole new world. Well, and it's, it's the exposure that happens early, but I think the other part of it is you said that you played basketball all the way through it. It's important to, to see that the girl, that girls, young girls, they play multiple sports because mm-hmm. the jumping takes a toll on your body. That's, and we have the highest, the highest percentage of ACL tears. And a lot of that is because we don't know how to land properly when we jump and yeah. see it. And, you know, you've seen teammates, I'm sure, go down with that injury. And I saw plenty of girls, you know, as I was coaching. And it, it's always sad because then, you know, then what? And if we haven't had those conversations, I'm glad that COVID has allowed for you to, to kind of think about that as we make that transition. Now, where, when do you head back? to Italy, to Italy, or to Turkey, actually. Mm -hmm. Now, in this, these next era
0: of COVID. Yeah. Um, I mean, my team has expressed that they would like me to come out July, -July. mid-July. Our season is now supposed to start in September. But I mean, I'm sure from their point of view, a lot of us have not played competitive volleyball since like March. So I'm sure a lot of teams are panicking, um, trying to figure out how to get us back into like top level shape by September. Um, Obviously, it's up to how this all pans out with COVID and travel. I know right now, Turkey um, is still like a little bit of a stay at home order, and they're not allowing international travel um, to and from. I think I spoke with someone who is Turkish and said that they're Allowing travel within Europe, but there are some European countries, countries that aren't allowing even Turkey to travel because they're not a part of the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think the earliest date I could be out there is July 15th. But then again, it depends on what's going on with the situation.
1: Now, how does you, how does your family feel about about that about your traveling, especially now in this global pandemic? What do they what do they say? How how they react to that?
0: Yeah, I mean it's not ideal. My mom is, (laughs) it's funny because I'm 25 and every time I go overseas, my mom's like, well, I'm coming because I need to see where you are. I need to see what's going on over there. So um, I think they feel safe just knowing that the club that I'm going to typically um, tends to take care of the girls very well. And I'm sure it's a peace of mind because my mom is very set on coming with me, at least for like the first week. She usually stays for like a week just to kind of like get the feel of a place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel better knowing that I'll at least have her there with me traveling and also that I have another teammate that is going and she's married, so her husband will be coming too. So uh, yeah, it puts me at ease just knowing I'll have like a little bit of community there going through it with me.
1: Yes, yes, most definitely. Now let's make a little transition to some of the people that have been some of your biggest influences in your life some of your mentors can you talk about those those people
0: yes definitely um i think one that i actually would like to note that i met recently who has been just an advocate for like the student athlete voice and it's very apparent to see that like obviously with her social media just but also by talking to her uh laurie Oki or Kumari, she i call her laurie Oki. Uh, She used to be on the USA board and now she's on a board for the IOC and actually is heading a lot of like the uh, marketing and grassroots playing around the Olympics. But um, I mean, she has been a vital part of what has allowed me to develop like the thought process of what I want to do post volleyball. And she's working with me now to develop. Essentially, like what I think my brand, if I had a brand, would look like, and what I want to do with the foundation that I eventually want to have. But I mean, she is just really encouraging. And I think the biggest thing that I can take away from her is that everybody has a voice and everybody is entitled to use that voice, especially as it pertains to wanting to be better for your community and those around you. So she's been a vital part of like exploring what life after volleyball will look like for me. So I've been tapping into. Uh, things that she's been offering for me as far as like resources and people to talk to. So she's right now, like at the forefront of like all of my mentors, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think also with that, I've had coaches and um, organizations along the way that have helped me. And I think I attribute a lot of like my success to the owners, the previous owners of TAB, John Sample and his wife, Donna Sample and his daughter, uh, Whitney Sample. I think they really took me under um, their wing, especially when I came into a very notable club with like zero club knowledge experience. Like it was my first year going through it with my parents of the prices They were like, I'm sorry, how much does it cost to stay in the Omni? Like, why can't we stay at the whatever down the street? Um, and just navigating that and just them like kind of reassuring my parents, like, I think it's hard because it does cost a lot, but obviously the hope and goal is that like I get a full ride scholarship and it kind of like balances that out. But to this day, I go to them for not only volleyball advice, but for business and life advice. So for sure those two, along with my parents, I mean, they to me are like the epitome of when you talk about the American dream, like neither of them were born here, but they both immigrated over here in their like 20s and establish a life for themselves and had to learn basically about a new history and culture especially being um obviously black but having to learn like the black history in America and figure out like where they fit into that figure out like why um things aren't necessarily happening for them and understand systemic racism when you weren't brought up in a country that deals with it so I mean I just give them all the credit for withstanding all of that and just knowing that um, their ultimate goal was to provide a future for their children that they didn't necessarily have growing up. So I can never thank them enough. And they're for sure my role models as it comes to like hard work and dedication and just making sure that you're setting the foundation for like your future generation.
1: That's awesome. Now, um, do they get to go back? Do you all get to go back to their, where, where are they from in you Nigerian? Yes. So they're from Nigeria. Uh, We were actually back there this past Christmas, and this is the
0: first time I've been back since I was 13 years old. Wow. Yeah, I know. I got to uh, stay. So there's a customary tradition in my dad's side. Like there's different like villages and obviously uh, like subgroups or states in Nigeria, which people don't know. So in my dad's um, state and village, it's customary for the men in the family to build a house in their father's village, kind of like as a passing down like the town and also as to establish, like you are now set in your life and you are now building the future for your future generations. Um, so they finished a house in um, a village where my grandfather has a house. And I honestly didn't understand like, the historical context. I was like, why are you guys building a house? And he's like, you don't, you don't get it. It's like a whole thing. Uh um but yeah we got to go back my dad's siblings were there I got to see a lot of my cousins that I hadn't seen in a while I got to see my grandparents on my dad's side my grandpa is 96 oh my goodness yes and still sharp as a tack oh my gosh so I haven't seen my grandparents actually no yeah at least like five years I didn't see my grandparents on my dad's side but I mean it was just amazing to be immersed in that culture again and I definitely want to go back um, I'm going to make it a point when I do have time and when my family is going to make sure that I'm going with them.
1: Awesome. Now what about your mom's side? The mom, your mom's side of the family, of of her family, where are they? Yeah. So they're spread out everywhere, not only in
0: America, but obviously in Nigeria. Um, her sister, one of her sisters and brothers live in Lagos, which is like the major city of Nigeria. So I got to see, I got to see that for a day on my way out, but even then is so much different from what I remember when I was 13. Like it's a lot more um, kind of Westernized and it's a lot more like trendy. So that's something that I would for sure like to explore next time I go back. And I've already told my uncle, he's the youngest of my mom's siblings. So he, he always jokes that he's basically a millennial. I think he like barely missed the cutoff. <laughs> um, so I'm like, yeah, I'm for sure going to hang out with you. Cause you know, we the good places to eat, good places to go and have fun. So
1: yeah, I'm excited for that too. That's awesome. That is so, that's so amazing that you have that opportunity to experience and then when you're overseas, is it, is that an easier travel, is it easier travel-wise to, to visit um, or is it more difficult?
0: Um, it wasn't bad, um, so at the time I was playing in a city near Venice, so I flew from Venice to Istanbul, which is actually where I'm playing next year. That is Istanbul was like two hours on a flight and then Istanbul to the city in Nigeria that I landed in was like six hours. Okay. So, I mean, maybe for the average person, this might be a long flight, but I'm used to taking like 10 to 18 (laughs) hour flights. I was like, Oh, this is a breeze. So especially next year, I'm hoping I get
1: the opportunity to go since it's just a six hour flight from where I'm going to be. That, that is awesome. Now, how, how often do your parents go back? Um,
0: the past three years, they made it a point. They made it a point to go at least twice a year, especially to visit um, my dad's parents, which are obviously they're getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think they'll try to make a trip for Christmas or around Christmas
1: again this year. That's that's really cool, and I think that would be you know once once we have little Chiakas running around. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be so fun to like go and and be able to. To take them to see yes. and experience, you know their their roots and where yes. their family, you know, started, um, and even to learn some of those same traditions, like like you explained with your your dad's side and you know the villages and learn all of those little intricacies that they're not going to get here in the United States unless you teach them, mm-hmm. right? You know, definitely they're not going to get it in textbook at all or unless there's other Nigerian families and everyone has different experiences, but at least there's some things that you all have that are, that are some commonalities and even just a sense of, you know what, there's someone else that, that is here that knows a little bit about mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. A yeah.
0: Bit. We always joke that Nigerians can find each other everywhere and we are honestly everywhere in so many different communities, but it's funny because we did, no one has the same experience for but the general idea we've kind of all experienced like a little bit of the same thing, especially when you connect first generations together, it's kind of funny because we're always in the middle, right? We're always like experiencing parts of like where we came from or where our parents came from, but also we grew up here. Mm-hmm. So it's always like a balancing act of like holding on to obviously your Nigerian and African heritage and then also you're an American at the same time. But yeah.
1: yes, that's awesome. So going with that in that same vein how do you build great ancestors? Because you spoke about your grandfather and being 96. I'm sure he has plenty of stories to tell and I'm sure he's done a lot of great work. What, what are you doing now and what do you plan to do to, to build great ancestors?
0: Yeah. So I think it starts with working within your own communities. So especially with COVID and having the time to think about this, I'm very adamant on kind of building the foundation for volleyball players, especially black and brown volleyball players in the city of Dallas. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now with mentoring um, the DeSoto High School, which is a South Dallas high school uh, volleyball team. And I think eventually I would like to have a foundation like I spoke about Mm -hmm. that kind of, um, and you touched on this a little bit, as well like there's not enough exposure and i think resources obviously in certain communities as it pertains to volleyball and i want to help that like i would like for sure for the next generation of volleyball players to believe that they can aspire to play at the highest levels if they want to but not only that just in other walks of life and other careers i think for me i'm now realizing my why for wearing the usa jersey and i think for a while i was battling with that because obviously i love to compete but i was like i don't know necessarily like what's really holding me here. And I think after having conversations with girls and girls' parents, I think my why at least is so that the next generation of girls can see a black black female in this position, playing overseas, playing at the highest levels and know that they can one day attain that. Um, So I definitely just wanna like kind of, not necessarily bridge the gap, but kind of give a certain group of people more of a leg up when it comes to navigating the whole volleyball scene. So. At least for now, I think that's what I want
1: to establish my legacy as. That's awesome. Now, I know you, you said DeSoto, it, it always amazes me. It always amazes me how that particular community or that volleyball program cannot get past a certain round in the playoffs when I've seen them play. And I, there is so much talent there yes and I'm realizing that now too yes but it is ridiculous um now who's the head coach over there now um coach Reed coach Ray Reed okay uh there was a lady I was when I coached at MacArthur High School the lady that followed after I left she I think she was only there a year and then she either went to DeSoto or Cedar Hill one of the two But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. that whole area, Cedar Hill, DeSoto, Lancaster, all of those, that area, there's talent. So much talent. But I think a part of it is they put a lot of
0: their talent or, I guess, attention and resources into the men's programs. Like, obviously, we know Duncanville, as it pertains to basketball for women, at least, but also men. The football, Cedar Hill, like, they always have players that go to prominent D1 football schools. So like I'm trying to figure out and that's part of honestly why I'm mentoring like it's not only for me to give them my knowledge and information it's also for me to understand like what is missing like what what is not connecting like why aren't you guys getting enough attention because like you said the talent is there yes um but I think it's just it's going to take a lot of different groups of people to invest in these girls mm-hmm. and so I'm just trying to figure out like at least from what I can do to help like what is there that's missing that needs to be there so that we can finally like have these programs be at the top of um, these conversations when we talk about notable volleyball high schools.
1: Yes. And, and for people that are listening that don't, that are unfamiliar with that particular space, it's like a, like a 10 mile radius between Duncanville and DeSoto and Cedar Hill and Lancaster Mm -hmm. and Oak Cliff, South Skyline and yeah, all of those schools and they produce Mm -hmm. such, such amazing Football players, basketball players, uh, track stars. Yes, forgot about track. That is true. Yeah, yeah. I that know a couple is, too. Yeah. If you're going to in the state of Texas, if you're going to win, you know, in the hundred meter dash, you've got to beat someone from that from that area or someone in the Houston area. And there may be one or two from Houston, but the majority are going to be right there. And they were probably neighbors or went to church together. That's how close those communities are. So yeah. It just boggles it boggles my mind. When I lived in the DFW, I thought, "Goodness, how how are they not? They're not winning." But the other side of it, and my husband and I have this conversation, is a lot of those young girls are exposed to basketball at an early age mm-hmm. because basketball doesn't cost any money. I can pick up a ball, go to a park, and there's exactly a, I can yeah, just or, access. Yes, I don't go and pick up a volleyball if there's not a net out then. What am I going to do? What am I doing?
0: Exactly. Yeah. It takes a lot. It's definitely access and it takes a lot more resources and funding, obviously to produce like a volleyball place to play ball. It's yeah. And that's what I'm trying to figure out because obviously you can't change the structure of volleyball. Like you're always going to require a net mm-hmm. and holes and all this other stuff, but it's finding a way just to be able to give that access to certain groups in certain neighborhoods. But yeah. We would like to have these conversations, we can have these conversations all day. I'm trying
1: to figure it out. (laughs) Yes, that, and you know, that is something that I'm hoping that, you know, maybe someone that's listening has, has an idea of how to tap into some of those resources that would help, you know, whether it be a gym or facility or a park, that's going to add something so that kids have that access, you know, early on.
0: Exposure at early age, yeah.
1: Yes. Yes, yes. Now we're going to go to a couple of fun questions. And, you know, I, before we, before we got on, we, we talked about this a little bit. I didn't want you to overthink the, the answer. <laughs> you know me. Now, you know, yeah. Yes. What I, do. I, I would do the same thing. I'd have, well, I like this, but no. And uh, I, I, no, we want, what comes to your mind when you think of, your top three restaurants. Ooh. All right. Jinbei. Off the, I can, these are easy. I can do this all day. Okay. Jinbei,
0: which is, I think, a Dallas Change Japanese restaurant. Me and my boyfriend go there all the time when we're home. I'm obsessed with that place. Okay. Um, Chewy's, I think, is underrated. <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> this is a good answer, but I, I love everything about Chewy's. The drinks are good. The queso is good. I judge Tex Mex places off their queso. Mm-hmm. By the way, but they have great taste queso. Um, third one. Ooh. I'm going to go a little more classier. I love Bob's Steakhouse. Okay. Which is a very expensive place. But if you need a good steak, good ambiance, that place is so, I don't know. It's so good and it's so detail oriented. They know like what you ordered last time, which <laughs> I think is the
1: coolest thing.
0: Um, but we don't go very often those are like special 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 occasions
1: those would be my top three very cool now what about three dishes that are special to you that you that that bring back such great memories and maybe your family or time together with people that you love
0: um one would be kebabs, and I actually started making this while I'm at home I just remember having these like cookouts with like family friends and um, my family would always make these really good like chicken and steak kebabs. so once I was home during COVID during this time we actually made them and it brought back like all of these like block party memories <laughs> um so for sure that there's a lot of nostalgia there um my family makes these really good Nigerian dishes one of them is jollof rice if you've ever heard of it yeah, yeah my boyfriend loves it my mom like always sends me with like big like Tupperwares (laughs) filled with them for him not for me but for him um but that obviously is just like a staple in the Nigerian community to eat jollof rice and it also brings back a lot of memories but it's also just really good um and along with that there's another Nigerian staple which is called uh meat kai And I just remember always having these. There would be a lot of like Nigerian conventions that we would go to in the state of Texas, and I just remember always like (laughs) cordials like at my table, Um, and that's where I met like a lot of people in the Nigerian community and surrounding areas near us. Um, So I just remember having these distinct memories of like meeting kids and like eating the meat pie. It was always like a special event where I had meat pie. So those would (laughs) definitely be my three.
1: Awesome. Now, what about your top three? Rap group or duo? Ooh, a rap group or a duo? Ooh, that's hard. Or any musical group. It's up to you.
0: Um, the Fuji's is one that's coming to mind. It's not necessarily a rap group, but Lauren Hill, I think, set the foundation for female rap, and I need people to know that. <laughs> um, it was not necessarily well, I think. Little Kim, obviously Nicki Minaj play a lot of homage to her, but I don't think people give Lauren Hill enough credit for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of anything Lauren Hill music. So the Fugees, Lauren Hill. Um I'm not I don't listen to I listen to rap, but like not as much as R and B. Okay. R and B answers. Yeah. Um R and B answers Destiny's Child. I feel like I am just like a nineties kid at heart. Destiny's Child is <laughs> for sure, my number <laughs> like, number one as it comes to R&B groups, um, I feel like I'm blanking, new edition, I don't know what time period I'm really going for here, but um, especially with the biopic that came out, I was reintroduced to a lot of music that I grew up listening to just through my parents and family friends, so I definitely have, like, a taste for a lot of, like, older school, I don't think 90s necessarily constitutes as older, but old school,
1: like, R&B <laughs> and uh, rap awesome and then let's go with our last one is going to be movies what would be your top three your go-to's
0: oh my gosh
1: oh Liz why are you doing this to me um, <laughs> you see had I asked you these before you would have overthought every single response every single I would have been like this movie has this actor no but uh I always say remember the titans uh-huh. I think is my number
0: one I if I just think about movies where I can watch it from start to finish without getting tired. Like, I could watch this at any time. Remember, The Titans is definitely one. I'm a huge Denzel Washington fan um, and all the works that he does. And that is just like a feel good movie. It like always puts me in my feels. I think.
1: Hmm. This is
0: hard. (laughs) um another good one that I I feel like I'd be listing all Denzel Washington movies but John Q I think is another really good movie if you've heard that one Mm -hmm. um and then third I'll Mm. give you a little bit I'll I'll
1: give you some of mine some of my go-tos are Rocky okay any of the Rockies yes I, I can watch those from start to end, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter like if it's on TV on regular cable television, whichever one is on, that's the one we're going to watch. And it's funny because my son, he's eight, and he absolutely adores adores Rocky and
0: I love that. I want
1: to go to Philadelphia and I want to see the statue and I want to do all of these things. And when Creed came out, he was just so excited to to go to the movie theater to watch Creed. And I thought that Creed Two was was amazing for us because. Growing up watching Rocky, we were able to relive some of those moments because it goes back and, you know, talks about either Rocky IV and all of that. So that's one that we, it doesn't matter which one, play one and we'll watch it.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I feel like I'm generally thinking about sports movies because that's obviously what I can relate to the most. But I forgot that for a while, especially when I was younger, I was very into musicals. Okay. Believe it or not. So, Sound of Music and The Oz. Like, The Oz with oh. all of the Black actors and musicians. That was a movie, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. I remember there were scary scenes in it. But that, those two were musicals that I could watch. Like, we wore out our VHS tapes because of me watching those two. So, I would combine, like, Sound of Music and The Oz. I loved musicals
1: growing up. That's awesome. Now, uh, before we end, we have to give a shout-out to Brett Bell. Uh, yes. Yes. Brett and Chiaka are some of our favorite people, and Brett speaks of Chiaka so highly. And it's so awesome that we finally get to we get to meet her and talk to her. And when COVID is is gone, kind of, I guess, if we can. I say know, that. like, will it ever end? It's always weird because people are say, "Oh yeah," when people say, "When COVID's over," I, viruses don't like just die. They
0: just don't end. Yeah. <laughs> We we'll just start like doing more normal things. Yeah,
1: yes, yes. When we're able to go back into the the normal space, of course, we want to have Chiaka and and Brett Bell in our home so that we can share in the food. Because I know that they talk about food all the time, uh, Mr. Goodlow and Brett Bell. And then no one compare- loves food more than Brett Bell. And then they compare their shoes. Like that's.
0: Well, yes i
1: noticed that on the podcast too i mean brett is
0: a sneaker head let me tell you but since he entered, entered the professional world like he's into the like the professional shoe game which i didn't even think was a thing me either i'm like how can you also like collect like nice cole Haan shoes i didn't know that that was something that people like to do but leave it to brett bell to find something shoe related to collect
1: oh yes and now so mr Goodlow and him are like they compare these shoes and i'm so our this closet now is filled with all these Kohans, and I'm like, time out. <laughs> the last time I got a nice pair of shoes, right? Come on now, <laughs> that's supposed to be something because I love, I absolutely love them now. With my feet being the way they are now, mm-hmm. the choices aren't very, aren't very good. They're a little limited, yeah. <laughs> Slim pickings, you know. And that happens once you have any sort of foot injury. Uh, now mm-hmm. I'm going for that comfort more so than the. And then the style. The style
0: factor, yeah. Yes,
1: but there's some really nice ones. I will say, I'll, I'll give them credit. Brett Bell and Doctor Goodlow, they've they've got their their shoe conversation going. But um, we we thank you for for joining us, Chiaka. It was so awesome to learn about your story and however we can help you. However, people listening can help provide any sort of resources to the different communities that she's involved with, please reach out. Now, if you would tell us how, how people can follow you or, or keep in contact with you. Yeah, so I mean, first, I just wanted to thank you for having me on this
0: forum to talk about things that um, that I'm really passionate about. And just to reiterate that the feeling is mutual between the Good and Brett. I only know so much about the Good because of Brett and he cannot stop talking about you. So I couldn't wait to meet you guys and obviously post I don't even know what to call it, COVID at home era. I would love to be able to spend time with you guys to get to know you more. So thank you so much for that. I'm excited to get to know you and Dr. Goodlow. And where people can find me, um, I know Brett talked about not having an Instagram and he's cool or whatever, but I have an Instagram. <laughs> um, you can find me at Chiaka11 on Instagram and at uh, Chiaka Obagu on Twitter. If you type in Chiago you will probably find me because there's not very many of us on social media so yes you can find me there.
1: Yes and if you, um, if you have a, chan- a chance next year when the Olympics take place we are going to be of course rooting for Team USA uh, but we watch volleyball in our home for many reasons um, so we will be looking out for you and yeah of course of course when you get a chance, once you start playing again, um, overseas, you send us those links so we can, we can watch you cause we don't get to watch any, we don't get to watch some of our favorite players from our college players, you know, because they, they're overseas. So I'm hoping this, I know I'm hoping this American league takes off. I know. oh me too.
0: Yeah. I mean I'm putting all of my good wishes and spirits uh or vibes on them, but I will definitely be sending those links. Brett asked the for them all the time. So if I don't necessarily send it to you, you can definitely ask Brett. <laughs> he usually has those links. Um but yeah, just thanks again for having me.
1: Yes. So uh that's all for now. Check us out next time and make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of, I say all of them, but those are the only three cause we, we don't, we don't venture into that Snapchat or any of those. Others. I don't know. TikTok is not for you. <laughs> yeah. It's not not for, for me either.
0: Yeah. I don't think I'll ever get into TikTok,
1: but yeah. Not for us. All right. Well, thank you.
0: This is behind the whistle. Thank you for listening.
1: See you next time.